Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. Turn with me to James chapter 3. We're going to kind of continue through this series called Responding to God. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be a black hardback Bible there, an ESV in the pew, and uh, you feel free to use that. Um, happy Labor Day weekend to you. Uh, it's a good, good morning to be here. Uh, as I was driving in, I was thinking about it being Labor Day, and I was thinking about um, just what that weekend means and how for most of us, it just means the lack of labor, right? And that's kind of like, well, it's not really Labor Day weekend, it's no Labor Day weekend for many of us. But I was thinking about Luke, Luke's gospel, the 10th chapter, second verse, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. What truth is in that verse? The laborers are few. Now, this morning, as we continue through uh, our study in the book of James, we're going to come across a section of scripture about our tongue. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I... uh, I had originally planned, as I, as I knew I was going to kind of go through James after Proverbs, to kind of skim over this one, okay? I was just going to be like, eh, we already covered it uh, this summer as we were talking about Proverbs and the tongue, and uh, after watching the Tennessee game, I quickly realized that I need to speak about the tongue again. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, you know it's true, right? Yeah. My wife said, you're a happier person. I think we should limit your uh, time watching the Vols. And I was like, that's probably good, that's probably good uh, truth. Um, so I had originally decided to skim over this. And uh, it became apparent to me that information doesn't equate to transformation. And a lot of us know that we should guard our tongues. And yet we still haven't. And so... Um, I'm reminded of what Jesus said in Matthew 15, 18, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. As Pastor Al quotes an an old friend of his, what's in the well of the heart comes up in the bucket of the mouth, and that's not acid reflux. That is something else. It basically means that what's in your heart, the real you, your seat of passions, the inner you, it will move to the mind. And what stays in the mind for some period of time will eventually come out in your words, and what comes out in your words will eventually direct your feet. So, this morning we're going to be in James chapter 3, and we're going to talk about a response to God in our words. Um, and, and when we get into this, I'm not talking about cursing. I want to go ahead and cover that. Now, obviously, I think you should have a higher vocabulary than four letters uh, to describe things, because I think it makes you look foolish and and uneducated, if that's the only words you can come up with. Uh, but I, I, I say that because uh, I had a, a grandfather-in-law that I adored, and uh, probably the sweetest little man. I mean, he was like this big. I mean, he was a little man, uh, and he loved Jesus, and he wanted to tell you about Jesus. But he'd also spent some time in the military. So um, he would be telling you about Jesus and saying cuss words at the same time. It was a new, it was a new experience for me. I love that guy. I also believe that there's a certain age that you get to where it just doesn't matter anymore, and you just say whatever you want. Some of you, you're not at that age yet, so you need to stop. Um, here's, here's what we've covered. Our proper response to God is faith. 
Our proper response to God for his grace, his mercy, and his love, and his forgiveness is faith. And a faith that is given to us by God. We would not have faith if it wasn't for God. He birthed that in us in the moment of salvation. And so faith always produces fruit. And that's what we said last week. There's always going to be a fruitfulness to your faith, whether in works, in in deeds, or words. And so this morning, faith without proper works is dead last week. And faith without proper words is deadly. James chapter 3, let's begin in verse 1 and go through verse 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, We guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large, they are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, a reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is God's word in James 3, 1 through 12. You see... The University of Arizona did a study, and it said the average person speaks over 16,000 words in a day. 16,000 words. That is equivalent to you writing a book each and every day with your words. One study said that in a year's time, the average person would fill 132 books with 200 pages each. That's a lot of words. James, the half-brother of Jesus, reminds us that we all do a lot of talking. And that doesn't always equate to our faith. James 1.26 begins his, his letter. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. This morning, I, I feel the tension of being a teacher in guarding my words. I feel the tension because... I will be held accountable for every word I say. And there's a lot of times I get up here and I joke and I tell stories and I have illustrations and I I do it all because I want you to like me. Let's be honest, okay? (laughs) Thanks. But this morning, I really want to be in God's word. So I hope you have your Bibles. Most of the scriptures will be on the screen, not all of them. But I want God's word to speak to us this morning. This morning, as you come in here, I, I got a question. What words have you used today? 
I have heard some discussions about UT. <laughs> I had to quickly leave the conversations. But as we come into God's house, there's, there's an accountability and there's a reverence and there's a purpose in our words. Paul, the apostle in Ephesians 5, 15 through 21 says, look, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Give me thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There is purpose in our words this morning as we come together and as we sing songs, psalms, spiritual songs together, as we build one another up, as we do it all to build up the church, as he would say in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, the Apostle Paul again says, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. What kind of words have you used this morning? Our faith always produces fruit. And it's not just deeds. It's not just works. It's fruitful words. It's words that give life to the body of Christ so that we can glorify the Father. Our words are important. They're vitally important. Words in general are important. First thing I want you to see this morning is a faithful response to God recognizes the power and the importance of words spoken from God and to man. All scripture is God-breathed. As James writing, he's writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In James 3.1, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. There's this idea here that God's words are so powerful and so important that they should not be tampered with. They shouldn't be taken out of context. They shouldn't be used for selfish gain. God's words are powerful. And they're important. How powerful are they? God created and used his words to form the world. I mean, we think about this, the power of the word of God creates life and it creates light. Genesis 1:3, and God said, that's all he did. Let there be light, and there was light. As the psalmist would say in Psalm 33, 6 through 9, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all of their host, he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and he puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. God's words are powerful, and they are important because they bring life. God's words create Hebrews 11.3, this is foundational for our faith, our response to God. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. It's foundational for our faith. It's the power of God's word. The power of the word of God creates people of purpose. You're here with purpose. Genesis 1, 26 through 28 goes on. And then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. Let, us, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God's words are not only powerful, they're purposeful for his people. We are given direction. We are given purpose by his words. Genesis 2, 16 through 17, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You shall surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. This is before sin entered the world. God's words created life and it created purpose his words are powerful and this is before the fall the purpose of man is to obey god that's his word his word to us is is directing us to be obedient his words are powerful the power of the word of god creates followers and friends i love how jesus speaks the words of god in 15:15 15, 15, john 15:15 15, 15, no longer do i call you servants for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. The words of Jesus are the words of the Father. And he's making it known to his disciples. And he's saying, look, you're not just, you're not just created to be servants. You're not just created to, to just do what we, we tell you to do. You're created with a purpose. And that purpose brings you in as friends. In 2 Timothy 3.16, this is for us. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. God's Word is powerful. Let me tell you something. God's Word is so powerful that it creates. It creates something out of nothing. You want to see God do a work in your life? Spend time in God's Word. You want to see power of the resurrection in your life? Spend time in God's word. His words are powerful. His words are purposeful. His words are for you and for me. And his words are directing and leading us in the image of God, what it looks like for what we were created to be. God's words are important. Second thing we see is this, an important uh, faithful response to God recognizes both perverted and persuasive words that can destroy both the speaker and the listener. God's words are powerful. And as we use our words and as we listen to words, we have to realize that there are some words that are spoken that are perverted or perverse or persuasive. And they destroy both the one who's speaking and the one who's listening. You're familiar with this in Genesis 3, 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field, that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We shall eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. They're words that are perverted, that are distorted, that are twisted. You see, the power of God's words creates life, but the power of Satan's words corrupts with lies. Many of us have listened to the wrong words, and our lives have been corrupted. Satan's words contradict, they distort, and they twist God's words for selfish and sinful gain. 
Satan can't create with words. He can only corrupt that which has been created. You see, Jesus confronted the religious people of his day. He confronted the Pharisees because of their words, because of what they were doing and how they were living. Their religion was, as James would say, worthless because they didn't guard their tongue. And so in John 8, 42 through 47, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you the truth. Why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. God's words are powerful and purposeful for his followers. And it doesn't equate to religious people. Why do you not hear God's words? Because you're not of God. Why do you listen to the distorted word? Because you desire selfish gain. Because you want to make the rules. You see, responding to God in faith begins with listening to God's word, listening to truth, and not to corrupt lies of selfish gain, and ultimately listening to the words of Jesus and letting them lead and guide your heart and life. That is responding to God. That is faith. So I've established that there's God's word, there's Satan's words. What about our words? A faithful response to God recognizes both the potential of praise and the pitfalls of sin in our words. Our words have the potential to praise God, but they also have the potential to cause a pitfall of sin. Not many of you, again, should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. You see, I understand that this word teachers is referring to the office of teacher in the church. And I'm just going to let you off the hook. Not many of you are called to be the teacher. Not many of you are called to stand on stage and, and give God's word, and you're like, amen, right? Yeah. There's a lot of pressure that comes with it. Not many of you are called to be teachers in a classroom. Not many of you have been given that spiritual gift. We've all been given a different gift for the, for the building up of the body. We've all been knitted together like, like a body. So every part does its part. Not all of us have been called to be the teacher, but you have been called. You have. You've been called to use the gifts of God for the glory of God. You've been called to participate. I would say that you've all been called to teach in some way. Because Matthew 28, 19 says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All of us. All of us are called to be a witness. All of us are called to use our words for the glory and the praise of God. None of us are exempt from that. You see, when we teach all that he has commanded, we have a huge responsibility to teach in a way that doesn't distort, corrupt, or twist them for our own selfish gain or based on our own cultural bias. If we do, we will become false teachers. 
And we will lead others astray or place a religious weight on them that isn't the gospel. We are all called to be his witnesses. We are all called to teach and make disciples. We are all called to share the glory of God with those that we come in contact with. We're all called to go, but we're all called to give God's word the way God's word was intended because God's word creates life. People need to be reborn. They need to be saved. And God's word is what does that. Not our distortion, not our cultural bias, not our twist of God's word, It's God's word that brings life and light. So, you are called. You're called. And there are somewhere between 6,000 and 7,000 people groups who have little to no knowledge of the gospel. Let that sink in for just a second. 6,000, somewhere between 6,000 and 7,000 people groups who have never heard God's word the gospel. And if they don't hear God's word, then they are certain to spend an eternity in hell. The response question to that is always, well, how can a loving God send people who have never heard to hell? The question is, how how can those who have been called and saved by God's grace sit in pews and never go tell them? Why? Because our response to God is more about following rules and sitting in pews and feeling good than going and, and, and giving the gospel, proclaiming the gospel to those who desperately need to hear it. We've all been called to make disciples of all nations. We've all been called to go and, and, to, and to be a witness. Romans 10, 13 through 15 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's great news. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We are called. Do you feel the weight of God's word? As brothers and sisters, he calls friends. Look, I've given, you, I've given you my word. I've given you life. And you're saved with a purpose to share that word with a, with a world who's dying. We are all called. We are all sent. We are all responsible to be laborers of the good news. And the good news is spread by our words. Oh, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Ezekiel, he's a prophet and he's talking to, he's speaking the words of God to Israel during the time where they've been taken in captivity and the city has fallen. And in 36, 22 through 27, he says these words, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake. And get that. O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you come. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. 
When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes, I will take you from the nations and I will gather you from the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is God's word creating new life, a new covenant. Telling Israel, look, I'm going to do something and it's not for your sake. You, you want to know why it's not for your sake? Because you've profaned my name among the nations. You have not been a witness of who I am. And I'm going to redeem it for my name's sake. It takes a blow there because it's, it's not about us. It's about God's glory. Salvation is God's will. Salvation is God's work and God's witness of his glory among the nations. You are saved with a purpose. We have been saved solely by God's grace and supremely for God's glory among the nations. God saved you for the spreading of his glory in the world. And how are you going to share that glory if you don't share the gospel? You have been saved with a purpose. God's words are purposeful and powerful. God gives us directions to be his image bearers, to, to be a witness for him. And he redeems it with the new covenant. And all of this is done by his word. And he says, now go into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've commanded you. I want you to go and I want you to be my witnesses. Not for your sake, but for my name's sake. For the glory of God. You are saved for the spreading of his word. When we realize that we've been saved from all our sins solely by the grace of God and solely for the spreading of the glory of God, then sacrificial surrender to his mission seems to be a more appropriate response to God than a mere rule-following, Christian-consumer-driven, repetitive routine, doesn't it? When we realize that his words are powerful, his words create life, and his words create newness of life, the new covenant, I will, I will, I will. This is all God doing, his work his will, for his glory, and he wants to use us to do that. How have you used your words today? You see, you are called, you and I are called to be his witnesses, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This means every member of our church, are you a member of the church? assuming you're in Christ, has the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And in this, we have what it takes to obey the mission of God. We don't need professionals, programs, or performances to accomplish God's mission. We simply need laborers. Now, now get this. 6,000 to 7,000 people groups who have never heard the gospel. This is what Scripture says. Every single one of us who have received God's Spirit, have begun everything that we need. We've given everything we need by Him to live a life of godliness and holiness. Who have God's Word can be picked up, plucked out of the pew today, and put in one of these people groups and share the gospel. You don't need a professional. You don't need videos. You don't need curriculum. 
You don't need programs. You don't need a children's program or a youth program or a senior adult program. You don't need a everyone else program. You don't need a program, right? You, you don't need that. You've been getting everything you need to be his witness. The question is, will you go? We simply need laborers for the laborers are few. We've made it to verse 2, doing great, right? For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. I like this. We all stumble. Not they all stumble. You all stumble. And certainly not y'all stumble. Y'all stumble. Bunch of sinners. We all stumble. We all fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us in here, we don't have it figured out. And you know how I know? Because we run this way too much. Am I right? We all stumble. The word perfect there is teleos, which means complete or mature. You want to know if you're a mature Christian? How do you use your words? How are you sharing the gospel? Spiritual maturity is seen in our words towards others, not just in our words towards God. Man, some of us, we can pray really pretty prayers, can't we? Some of us, we know all the terminology and the Christianese and all the things that we're supposed to say in Southern Tennessee cultural Christianity. God bless you. Amen. How you doing? Fine. Mm. Y'all be good now. But how do you speak to others? It's not on the screen, but there's a really mature saying. Maybe you've heard it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but you know that's not true, right? We all carry wounds of things people have said about us. Deep wounds. Some of us have let the things that people have said about us, even in the church, direct our path in a way that shouldn't, it shouldn't have gone. There's some people who aren't here today who have walked away from the church because of how the church people have spoken to them. You'd be my witnesses. God's words are powerful. God's words are purposeful. In John chapter 8, there was a lady who was caught in the act of adultery. It says this, early in the morning, Jesus, he came to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote in the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. And from now on, Sin no more. If you want a reason 
to throw stones, verbal stones at people, you'll have more than enough opportunity. If you want to throw stones at people because of their failures, because we all stumble, you'll have more than enough stones to throw. But they'll have enough stones to throw back at you. And sometimes we throw stones, verbal stones, because we think it makes us look better. Look how much better I am than that person. You see, if I tear them down, then it builds me up because I don't look as bad in everyone else's eyes. You see, faith is a response to God that loves others in spite of their failures. Faith is a response to God that loves others in spite of their failures. Jesus loved sinners. Let me ask you, church, do you love sinners? Or do you throw stones at sinners? This is what Jesus demonstrated in his words and his deeds. Galatians, Paul says this in chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. He's like, look, church, you, you, can, you can live out God's love and his, his work and his witness if you will just simply love your neighbors yourself, if you will simply be my witnesses. But if you're going to bite and devour one another, if you're going to throw stones, if you're going to slander, if you're going to gossip, if you're going to tear others down so you think you look better, more religious, be careful. Because you'll, you'll devour one another. It's like spiritual cannibalism. Spiritual maturity is seen in our words towards others, not just in our words towards God. And here's the last point. A faithful response to God recognizes both our inability to control the tongue and our need for God to produce in us a heart of worship that is evident by our words. We cannot control our tongue. We can't. Someone else has to control it for us. We need God to produce in us a heart of worship that is evident with our words. It says this, verse 3, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large, they are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. I think it's interesting. You've never had a horse come up to you and say, Hey, will you put a bit in my mouth? Or like Mr. Ed, hey, I need a bit in my mouth. That was for the older generation. Okay. Yeah, horses don't ask for bits. Ships don't ask where to go. There has to be someone that controls it. They don't ask for bits. And here's, here's the church. The church likes to be corralled. We're part of it. We're in the fence we're not out roaming free. We've been saved by God, but don't put that bit in my mouth. God, I don't really want you directing my every path. I just want to be part of the crowd. I just want to be in the church. I just want to be saved. I just want to be part of the group. You can't control your tongue. The ship can't control itself unless there's a pilot or a captain directing it, steering it. We can't control our tongues unless we have God steering us leading us and guiding us. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on by, by hell. The word Gehenna, which means a place. It was a place where they burned trash. Jesus also used that word to describe hell. 
For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. As I read this about a forest being set ablaze, I'm reminded of the 2016 Gatlinburg fires. Remember those? Man, they devastated Gatlinburg. I remember we took a, a road trip and uh, drove up through there and just saw the devastation. And we were like, oh, we stayed in that hotel one time. It's remarkable. It's just gone. Fourteen people lost their lives in that fire. And I, and I, I did some research, and, you know, there's some different stories that are told. But I, I heard it was started by some adolescents, some teenagers who were walking down a hiking trail, just lighting matches, just having fun, thinking nothing about what they're doing, just lighting matches. Sometimes we walk through church not thinking about what we're saying. We're just lighting matches. And we're seeing it catch fire, burn through the entire church. Sometimes we walk through our community talking about things, lighting matches, not even thinking about the fact that we're tearing down and we're profaning the name of God by the words that we're saying. Sometimes we go to our workplaces and we just light matches. We say things about people. We tear people down and we criticize people, not thinking about what kind of fire we're causing. You see, just as a wildfire is deadly and destructive, so are our words that bring hell and death to those who hear them. One commentator said this, Show me a man or a woman who stirs up strife, who is a gossip, who criticizes everything and everyone, who is boastful and critical of others, and I will show you someone who has hurt so many people with their words. They have brought sin, death, and evil from hell to those around them. And they probably started with their family, their church family, or their co-workers who thought they were Christians. Have you used your words? Because with our words, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt pond yield fresh water. Your words are an indicator of your heart, and your words reveal the true spiritual condition. Words are powerful. Here's what James says. We can't praise God with, for his faithfulness and curse people for their failures at the same time. Church, you need to hear that. You can't praise God for his faithfulness and curse people for their failures at the same time. How can it be? We need to guard our tongues, and we can't do it. It's only by surrendering to the one who was able, the one who spoke every perfect word, who kept his mouth shut on his way to the cross, who was like a sheep to the slaughter, Jesus Christ, who bore our sin and our punishment and our shame, and then he rose again on the third day, giving us life and freedom from sin, freedom from the sin that binds us. I'm going to close with this section of scripture in Isaiah. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, you, you've got 7 and 8 on the screen. This is how it starts. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. 
And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see what Isaiah says there? I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am I. Send me. Church, have you been cleansed? Have you been cleansed by the redeeming love of Jesus Christ? Then your only reasonable response, here am I. Send me. Send me to, to share your word. Send me to share this with people who are lost and dying. God, I surrender all of me for your glory to be seen in all nations. Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each week.